0: So go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. That's where we're at this morning. We, we pick up the uh, study there in Matthew chapter 24. And we'll, we'll start our reading this morning in verse 9. Matthew chapter 24. If anybody needs a Bible, you raise your hands. We can get a Bible in your hands too if you don't have one. Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. Jesus is speaking. Uh, He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetops not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look... Here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the come, uh, coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And so as we just continue our in-depth in study in the book of Matthew on Sunday mornings, you know, we're currently in the Olivet Discourse. Uh, chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew is the Olivet Discourse. And last week we looked at the signs that would indicate uh, the, that Jesus' return was, was near. And if you weren't here last week, I think that that would be one of the studies that you might want to go to the website and watch again, because uh, I think for the first eight verses of Matthew 24 is, is something that all of us as Christians should be very, very familiar with. We saw last week that the disciples that came to Jesus and they asked him, when will the destruction of the temple take place? You know, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus gave them some very, very specific answers. He said in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, He said, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So Jesus uh, said there, watch out for that. When false teachers come on the scene, that will be a sign uh, to you that my coming is near. And then he goes on to say in verses uh, six through eight, Matthew 24, and you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, not only wars and rumors of wars, but there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the sorrows. Now, Your Bible may read, uh, these are the beginning of birth pains. Okay, the picture is of a woman going into labor. As she does, you know, as her labor uh, progresses, you know, it it grows in intensity and those labor pains come with greater frequency. They get stronger and stronger and they come faster and faster. And as they do, I mean, if you're there, you know that baby is going to come. I mean, He's coming very soon. So the picture that's to be painted in our minds is that when we see these things happening, like we talked about last week, the spiritual deception, you know, of wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And again, Jesus is not saying that these things have never happened before. What he's saying is that as we see these things happening with greater and greater intensity, and greater frequency, then we should realize that his return is near, just around the corner, and that the kingdom of heaven is about to be birthed. Now, we move into the section that we're looking at today, and actually verses 9 through 31, we, we see teaching, which I believe refers to, the seven, to a seven-year period that's known to us as the tribulation. Now, let me just say up front, okay, regardless of what others may say, regardless of what others may teach, I believe the clear teaching of the Bible is that the church, those who have sincerely placed their faith in Jesus Christ, those that are truly His followers in this life, I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that the church will not go through the tribulation. I believe that somewhere between Matthew 24, verse 8, and verse 9, somewhere between those two verses, the church will be raptured and caught up. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. So at some point, as we see these signs increasing with greater frequency and greater intensity, before the tribulation ever comes uh, around, the church is going to be raptured up into heaven or literally caught up into heaven. The word translated "caught up" there in First Thessalonians four seventeen, it's the Greek word harpazo, and it literally means to be caught up or to be snatched away. The Bible teaches that the church at some point is going to be caught up; it's going to be snatched away. And maybe you have run into people in the past that you know say, uh, "You know, I don't believe in the rapture. You know, I, I don't ever see it in the Bible." You know, well. Uh, you know, it just means that you're not reading the right Bible. The word harpazo is in the Bible in the original language. It's in the Greek. It's the word that you use there. And that word harpazo is translated into the Latin Bible, uh, right, to the word rapturo. And the Latin word rapturo is where we uh, get our word rapture. raptural means to be caught up. It's where uh, the word rapture in the English comes from. So the church is going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air before this tribulation period that we're reading about this morning in Matthew uh, 24, 9 through 31 ever takes place. And we're, we're going to take a, a look at this this morning, and uh, I'll share with you why I believe that Uh, the Bible teaches that the church is not going to go through the tribulation period. And then you can, you know, make up your own mind uh, what you think about it. Um, I think it's important that we do understand that throughout church history, uh, there are many Christians that do believe that the church will go through the tribulation period. And maybe you even hold that view this morning. You might be thinking... Well, you know, from my understanding of Scripture, we need to get ready. We need to uh, be prepared because we're going to go through the tribulation. You know, I think it's important that we understand if there's someone that holds to that view, well, you know, they're still our brother and sisters, right? I mean, the idea of the rapture, it's not a major doctrine that we should break fellowship over, uh, you know, with other people. You know, there are essential doctrines that every Christian must believe, such as the deity of Christ, the um, doctrine of the Trinity, you know, the virgin birth, uh, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus for the sins of the world, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. I mean, these are foundational doctrines. And there's no room for, uh, you know, any debate on those. There's no room for varying opinion in regards to those right? However, the pre-tribulation rapture, it's a non-essential doctrine. It's not something that we're to break fellowship over uh, if somebody holds a differing view. We need to have wisdom when it comes to these these kinds of things. Uh, You know, Billy Graham, he used to say, we pray for a pre-tribulation rapture, and we uh, prepare for a post-tribulation rapture. And that standpoint that he adopted allowed him to minister to the whole spectrum of people. You know, in my mind, uh, again, this is just not something that's worth dividing over. So this morning, it's on my heart to present to you why I believe that the church will not go through uh, the tribulation period. And it's my prayer that, you know, it'll make sense to you why I hold that view. And then it'll bring some clarity to you regarding this issue From my point of view, I think the Bible, uh, again, very clearly teaches that the church will not go through the tribulation. And again, you're welcome to come to whatever decision you want to come to. That's fine. My prayer is that whatever that decision is, you know, uh, that you come to, that it's based on scripture, and then that you're able to defend it from scripture. Okay? So before we get into our text this morning, Let's take a a minute and get a little bit of understanding what the tribulation actually is. I don't want to take it for granted that everyone here knows what I'm talking about. You know, for some, that may be a completely new term. But first off, and it's absolutely essential to understand that during the seven-year period of time, which we call the tribulation, God is going to once again deal with the nation of Israel. Jeremiah 30, verse 7 says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Jeremiah refers to this time, we call it tribulation. He calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah speaks of uh, this time of judgment and cataclysmic events um, that will take place on the earth as the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time when God will deal again with the nation of Israel. And in Zechariah, we've looked at these verses in recent studies, but Zechariah 12.10 says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, that they will look on me whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And again, Zechariah tells us during this time when God deals with the nation of Israel, Zechariah 13.6 says, in that day, one will say to him, what are these wounds in your hands? And again, that's the correct translation. Your Bible may read, what are these wounds on on your chest or uh, between your arms or on your back? But the correct translation is, what are these wounds in your hands? Then he will answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And in our last two Bible studies, we also saw Jesus saying in Matthew 23, 39, you shall see me no more till uh, you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So by the end of the tribulation period, there will be such a move of God's spirit on the Jewish people that they'll recognize Jesus as their Savior. Uh, Savior. <laughs> I'm just making up words here. As their Messiah and Savior, right? And they're going to mourn over the one they pierced, Zechariah says. They're going to realize that, that it was they that pierced him. Now, During this seven-year period, Zechariah also tells us that it will be a time of tremendous chastening and refining of the nation of Israel. It's going to be a time when God deals with the stubborn Christ rejecting Israel. And by the end of the tribulation period, the scriptures tells us that Israel is going to be saved. Paul tells us in Romans 11, 25 and 26, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. You know, beware of that teaching that says that God is done with Israel right? The, the, that the church has somehow now inherited the promises that were given to Israel. Watch out for that kind of teaching. It's called replacement of theology, and it's completely demonic. God is not done with the nation Israel. Paul makes that very clear uh, there in Romans 11:25 25, and 26. When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, the church will be raptured, and, and then God is going, going to deal once again with the nation of Israel. And during that seven-year period, which Zechariah calls the time of Jacob's trouble, God is going to deal with Israel in such a way that they're going to, re, they're going to turn to Jesus and receive him as their Messiah. They're going to recognize him as their Savior. Secondly, We need to understand that the tribulation is not just a time where God is dealing with the nation of Israel, but it's also a time, again, a seven-year period uh, where God is going to vent His wrath, His righteous indignation will be poured out on a wicked, Christ-rejecting world, right? Again, the book of Revelation, maybe you've read it, maybe you were present with us when we uh, went through it on Tuesday evenings. Either way, it's, it's good to read it again. But Revelation 6 through 19, that's, those are the chapters that speak of, that cover the tribulation period. It starts out with the Antichrist coming in onto the world scene. You know, it's the first thing that happens in the tribulation. And then in Revelation 6 through 19, we have this graphic description of the tribulation period of God, where God is uh, venting His wrath... And that's something that needs to be clear in our mind. You know, you might uh, want to go back again and reread the book of Revelation and just underline how many times it says there that it's the wrath of the Lamb. It's the wrath of God. It's the judgments of of God. The sealed judgments of God being unleashed on the planet Earth. The trumpet judgments being released on planet Earth. And the bold judgments, which are the severest, are being poured out. The bold judgments are the vials of God's judgments being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. In the verses that we're looking at this morning, Jesus speaks of this intensity uh, of that tribulation period. In verse 21, Jesus said, "For, for then there will be great tribulations, such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Right? It's going to be a time of such incredible judgment. And, and the world's never seen anything like it, and they'll never see anything like it again. You know, I wish we had time this morning to go through uh, the Old Testament prophecies found in Isaiah. Unfortunately, we don't have that much time. But Isaiah talks about the tribulation period and how the, the earth will reel back and forth uh, like a drunken man. Zephaniah, Joel, and Amos, right? Many of the Old Testament prophets testify of this, uh, this uh, time period where God is going to judge the Christ-rejecting world. Now, when we talk about the tribulation, one prophecy that's absolutely essential that we understand, right, and we're going to take time this morning to look at it, is, is the prophecy found in Daniel 9. So... You might wanna keep a finger here in Matthew 24, and let's turn back to Daniel 9, and uh, we're gonna take a a look at it, okay? And you know, uh, for some of you, you may not be very familiar with this prophecy. For others, you know, you got a, a great handle on Daniel 9. You're very, very familiar with it. But to understand the end times, and especially to understand the tribulation period, it's essential for each of us to have a firm grasp, just a, a, a keen understanding of Daniel 9 to understand this prophecy that was given to, to Daniel. We need to, we need to understand if we're going to understand prophecy. So we're going to pick up in Daniel 9, verse 20, get a little bit of background on what's going on with Daniel when he received this prophecy. So Daniel 9, verse 20 says... Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sins and the sins of my people, and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, this was the prophecy that was given to Daniel. And and I need you, you know, make sure you're tuning in here, okay? You know, don't tune out and say, you know, the Old Testament's so boring. You know, I don't understand it. I thought we were in the book of Matthew. No, you really need to have a firm grasp on what's going on here to understand prophecy, especially if we're going to understand the the tribulation period. So this was the prophecy given to Daniel, verse 24. 70 weeks are determined. Literally, uh, the literal translation for the word there, weeks, is seven. Okay, so contextually, it's speaking of 77-year periods, okay? 77-year uh, periods are determined for your people and for your holy city. Daniel's people are the Jews, and the holy city is Jerusalem. 77s are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up visions, uh, seal up vision and prophecy. Literally, it says for all vision and prophecy to be fulfilled and sealed up. And he goes on to anoint the most holy. All of this is going to take place during this uh, seventy-seven year period of time. Gabriel goes on, tells Daniel, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks, or seven seven seven-year periods, and sixty-two weeks. So it's seven and sixty-two sevens, right? That totals sixty-nine seven-year periods. He goes on, The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So this is what the prophecy of Daniel is. This is what the angel Gabriel told him. He says, Daniel, know this and understand. From the the going forth of that command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, there's going to be a seven-year period of time, right? 49 years. And that 49 years is what it took to rebuild and restore the city of Jerusalem. Then after that, there's going to be 62 seven-year periods. You know, or a total of 69 seven-year periods. And then the Messiah, the prince, comes on the world scene. And Gabriel told Daniel that the Messiah would be cut off. And it's interesting. He says that, cut off, uh, but not for himself. And the word cut off means to be uh, executed. Executed for a crime is is how that word is is used. Uh, But he's not going to be executed because of himself, the angel says. We talked about this before, but those that study these things, right, studies history, they've discovered that this is exactly what happened. Uh, I've mentioned it before, Sir Robin Anderson, Uh, he worked his entire life at... at, uh, entire adult life at Scotland Yard. He wrote the book, The Coming Prince. He dedicated his life to the investigation of this one prophecy, and he uncovered that on March 14, 445 B.C., King Artaxerxes gave the command to send Nehemiah to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, and Gabriel tells Daniel from the going forth of that command to Messiah the Prince, Gabriel says that there would be 69 seven-year periods, or 483 years, or using the Babylonian calendar as Sir Robert Anderson did, 360-day years, taking into consideration leap years and the fact that there's no year zero. You don't go three, two, one, zero, one, two, three, right? Sir Robert Anderson he came up with 173,880 days, and to the exact day, King Artaxerxes on four 44- fourth. Uh, March 14, 445 BC, gives the order to Nehemiah to go. And the exact day, 483 years later, 173,880 days, you come to um, Sunday, April 6, 32 uh, AD. What happened on that day? That was the exact day that Jesus came riding into uh, Jerusalem. It was his triumphal entry. And we know that same week, he was cut off. He was crucified. But again, not for his sins. Daniel 9 is such an amazing prophecy. It happened exactly uh, the way it was told to Daniel, as Daniel prophesied, 483 years earlier. After the 69, seven-year period, the Messiah would be cut off but not for himself. It happened exactly that way. And then the prophecy continues in verse 26. It says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and uh, the end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. That's exactly what happened also. The people of the prince, the prince was Nero, the people of the prince, being the Romans, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the the sanctuary, destroyed the temple, just as Daniel was told, just as Daniel prophesied. That's exactly what happened. And the angel Gabriel went on to tell Daniel this in verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined to, is poured out uh, on the desolate. So you might be thinking, you know, Gary, man, I don't know if I understand. You know, I'm having a hard time staying with you this morning. Okay, you know, maybe it, it, it's just this is a subject that needs a little further study for you. It's all right, but uh, just try to uh, stay with me as I explain it. Gabriel told Daniel that there would be 77-year periods. They were determined for him, for the Jewish people, for the city of Jerusalem. Gabriel goes on to tell Daniel what's going to take place at the end of 69 seven-year periods. The Messiah is going to come, right? And that's exactly what happened. The Messiah is going to be cut off. That's exactly what happened. And they'll destroy the city and the temple. As impossible as that would seem, we talked about it last week, as impossible as that would seem, that's exactly what happened. And Gabriel goes on to tell Daniel about the 70th week, right? The final seven-year period. We're told in verse 27 that he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's the final seven-year period. That's the 70th week. And in the middle of the week, He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offerings, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Now, if you were paying uh, attention when we read Matthew 24 earlier this morning, Jesus made reference to the abomination of desolation. And we're going to read about it in just a minute. But Jesus basically uh, says in, in that portion of Matthew 24, says, Remember what Daniel said about the abomination of desolation, right? You need to remember that. Jesus is speaking this about, a, in his time, a yet future event that's going to take place. He says, watch out. If, if you're in Judea, flee to the mountains when you see it. If you're on the housetop, don't bother going down to grab a coat or get a laptop or get some pictures, whatever, get out. You know, get out of town. Pray that, uh, you know, it doesn't happen on the winter or on the Sabbath. And pray that you're not nursing a little baby at the time. What is the abomination of desolation? The abomination of desolation takes place in the final seven-year period in Daniel's 70th week. It's it's, uh, also known that time, the tribulation. It's the final week of Daniel's prophecy and the Antichrist in the middle of that seven-year period uh, is going to enter into a yet future temple. It's not built yet. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4 says he's going to oppose and exalt himself. The Antichrist is going to oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple showing himself... uh, that he is God. He's going to go into the Holy of Holies and he's going to declare himself to be God and he's going to demand all people to worship him as God. And this is in the middle of the tribulation, Daniel tells us, that there will be uh, this abomination that makes desolation. It's this abomination that takes place that will cause God to take the gloves off, you know, pour out his wrath on the planet Earth like never before, bringing about desolation. Now, with this background, let's turn back to Matthew chapter 24. My hope this morning um, is that this background helps make Matthew 24, 9 through 31, a little clearer for you as you as we continue in our study this morning. Again, in Matthew 24, verse 8, we read, All these are the beginning of sorrows, right? Referring back to widespread spiritual deception, wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilences, and earthquakes. All these are the beginning of birth pains, increasing in frequency, increasing in intensity until the church is raptured into heaven. Then verse nine, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, I believe verse nine is the beginning of the tribulation period. I believe that Jesus is not talking about the church here, okay? Uh, He's talking about the Jewish people here. And And I'll show you why I believe that as we continue a little further in the study this morning. Verse 10, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Uh, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And again, it's interesting. In the book of Revelation, you see the false prophet, he, he rises up during this time, you know, during the uh, tribulation time. And he's going to promote the Antichrist and deceive the world, causing many to worship the Antichrist as God. Okay, hang in there, you know, but don't, don't tune out here. We're gonna tie it all together in just a few minutes. Verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, this isn't referring to a personal self-effort of endurance that results in eternal salvation. It's speaking of a physical deliverance, right? Of those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ During the tribulation, those that remain faithful to the Lord during the tribulation and refuse the mark of the beast, they'll be delivered and enter into the millennial kingdom in their physical bodies. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. It's at this verse that a lot of missionary organizations say, you know, there you have it, right? It's right there. We have to preach the gospel to the whole world before Jesus can come again. Jesus can't come until the gospel is preached to the whole world. But you know what? I don't think that that's the context of this verse. Even though it's my heart to see the gospel preached to the whole world, and, and you know, I want very much so to be used by God to preach the gospel to the whole world, but I think the context here is that, again, it's in the tribulation period. And it's interesting that in the book of Revelation, God is going to send forth an angel. Revelation 14, verse 6 says, Then, John says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach who dwelt on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So I think the context of Matthew 24, 14 is not that we have to preach the gospel to the whole world before Jesus can come back for his church. But the context is that in the tribulation period, the gospel is going to be preached, okay? And Revelation tells us that an angel is going to preach the everlasting gospel to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. In verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, the reference right there to Daniel chapter 9, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him hear. When you see this, Jesus says, verse 16, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jesus says, hey, remember what Daniel the prophet said? Do you remember Daniel's prophecy Remember, there's this coming seven year period, a final week, and he is going to make a covenant with Israel uh, during that final week. But in the middle of that final week, there's going to be one who commits an abomination that makes desolation. And Jesus says, Remember? And then he says, When you see that happen, those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Verse 17. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And again, no, not and again. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh will be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out or look. He's in their inner rooms. Do not believe it. And then Jesus goes on from here. He goes on into the end of the tribulation period when Jesus is going to come back in judgment. Verse 27, he says, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For who, wherever the carcass is, There the eagles will be gathered together. You know, and it's talking about this uh, time of judgment. Verse 28, it's a figure of speech that carries with it the idea that when judgment is ripe, you can count on it. It's going to come. It's certainly going to come. We see in Revelation 19 where it talks about Jesus uh, when he comes again. He's going to come to judge the nations of the world. And I hope, you know, I haven't lost any of you this morning, but that's all the background to get us to this point, okay? To ask you this question, to ask you if you see this. One of the reasons that I believe the church will not go into the tribulation or go through the tribulation is found here in Matthew 24. You now, let me ask you the question. Why would Jesus be telling his church, that they should pray that the abomination of desolation doesn't take place on the Sabbath day. I mean, who's he talking to? Who's Who's he warning? Hey, you who live in Judea, he says, when you see this, get out, flee to the mountain. Who lives in Judea? The Jews, okay? You who are on the housetop, don't go down and take anything out of your house. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us today, But, you know, if if you go to uh, Israel today, walk around the neighborhoods of Israel, or, you know, you're there in the old city, you walk around the wall, and you look over into the neighborhoods, what do you see? You see housetops there that are like our patios, right? You see kids playing on the housetops. You see laundry being hung out to dry there on the housetops. You know, tables and chairs set up there on the housetops where families gather for a meal in the cool of the evening. But the clincher is when Jesus says, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, okay? Why would Jesus be warning his church to pray that their flight not be on the Sabbath? And the answer is clear, because Jesus is not talking to his church here. Here, Jesus talking about, you know, probably the greatest event in all of human history taking place, talking about Daniel's 70th week, the abomination of desolation, the wrath of God being poured out upon the world. Such as never uh, been seen before and will never be seen again. Jesus says, hey, you who are in G- Judea, you who are on your housetops, pray that it's not occurring on the Sabbath. Jesus is warning the church here. Uh, sorry, warning the Jews here. He's not warning the church. Why? Isn't Jesus warning his bride? Why isn't he warning the church? Is it because he doesn't care about us? You know, he's warning the Jews, instructing them what to do. What about us? Where's the warning instructions for us, right? The obvious answer is the church isn't here. There's no warning to give to the church. There's no instruction to give to the church because the church is not on the world scene at this point in time right? The church has been raptured before any of this even takes place. And we see these birth, as we see these birth pains increasing in intensity and frequency, hey, we know Daniel's 70th week is coming. And all of this is going to take place just as Jesus said. But the church is going to be raptured before any of these things uh, take place. Let me give you a couple more reasons why I don't think the church will be here during the rapture. You might want to take notes. You might want to write these things down. Matthew 24 is a powerful argument. Jesus warns the Jews, but there's no warning given to the church because the church isn't going to be here. Okay? Another powerful argument is the book of Revelation. Right? I mean, we just uh, finished it not too long ago. Again, maybe you were uh, with us in that study uh, you know, if you if you were with us, you've already seen this. But what do you find in the book of Revelation? Right, in chapters two and three, you find the entire church age laid out for us prophetically, and then in chapter four, John hears a voice like a trumpet saying, "Come up here," and he's caught up into heaven. And John, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter five, John sees this enormous group singing a song, a new song. And this is the song that they're singing, Revelation 5, 9. You are worthy to take the scroll for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It's a group that can only be the church. The church is the only one that can sing that song. So in Revelation 2, 3, you see the church age. Revelation 4, John's caught up into heaven. Revelation 5, you see this group in heaven. Again, it's the, it can only be the church who sings this song, worshiping before God there, uh, before his throne. And then in Revelation 6 through 19, we see this incredible judgment being poured out upon planet Earth. And guess what? The church is not mentioned one time in those chapters. Revelation 6 through through 19 not mentioned one time the church is mentioned 19 times in chapters 1 through 3 but between 6 and 19 during the tribulation period you don't see the church mentioned not even one time in fact you know the next time you read about the church in revelation is at the end of uh, 19 when the church comes uh, with christ returns with jesus at his second coming. So the church is going to be raptured into heaven, right, to be with the Lord. And during the seven-year period of what's literally a hell on earth, during the seven-year period of God pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, right, the church is experiencing this honeymoon relationship with the Lord in heaven. Then, according to Revelation 19, we'll be coming back with the Lord in judgment. I mean, the book of Revelation is so very clear in regards to this, that the church will not be here during that time of tribulation. Another reason I don't believe that we'll be going through the tribulation uh, is Daniel's prophecy of the 70th week. Let me ask you another question, okay? Think with me. Where was the church during the first 69 weeks of Daniel's prophecy? You say, what, really, Gare? I mean, like, what do you mean where the church was during the first 69 weeks, right? you, You know, are you crazy? That was during the Old Testament time, right? The church didn't exist. And that's exactly right. The church wasn't on the world scene at that time. The church came into being between Daniel's 69th week and his 70th week. From that time that the Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah, to this present time, we're currently living in what's known as the church age, where God's grace has been freely extended to all people, that whosoever will can come. You're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're invited to be part of the bride of Christ, to be forgiven of your sins, to be washed, cleansed, to be clothed in white linen. But looking at Daniel's prophecy and those first 69 weeks, the church Uh, wasn't present on the earth, okay? So where is the church going to be during the 70th week? It's only consistent that the church will not be present during the 70th week either. The church is going to be in heaven with the Lord. A couple more reasons I don't believe the church will not be here during the tribulation. Uh, The first of which is 1 Thessalonians 5.9. And you listen very carefully as we read it. 1 right. Thessalonians 5.9 says, For God did not appoint us to what? Wrath. But to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. God did not appoint us to wrath. What's the tribulation? Again, I encourage you, read through the book of Revelation. Time and time again, you read God's judgment, God's wrath, the wrath of the Lamb, over and over again. The tribulation is a seven-year period where God's wrath and righteous indignation is being poured out, vented on the Christ-rejecting world. And as 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, we were not appointed to wrath, right? That's what it says. There can be no other interpretation of that verse. We are not appointed to wrath. Another verse, in the same vein, Paul writes Romans 5.9, you can remember it very easily because they're both five nines. First Thessalonians 5.9, Romans 5.9. Romans 5.9 says, much more than having been justified by His blood, and we have been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Let me give you another reason why I don't believe the church is going to go through the tribulation. And this reason is the words of Jesus Himself. Write these two verses down. They'll help you as you confirm these things in your own mind, your own heart. The first, Luke 21, 36. Jesus says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted um, worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus says, watch. Pray always that you be counted worthy to escape all these things. So here's my question. Escape what things? Escape the second coming? Yeah? Is that what you want to escape? You want to escape the second coming? No. You want to escape the seven-year period of tribulation. Another verse that goes hand-in-hand with this one, Revelation 3, 10 and 11. Jesus says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth, Behold, I am coming quickly. Now the hour of trial is a reference to the coming tribulation period that will come upon the whole world. And Jesus says, because you've kept my command to persevere, go ahead and flash it up there again real quick so he can read it. Because you've kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. Two very powerful promises from our Lord. I can keep going, but I'm going to share one uh, final reason why I don't believe that the church will go through the tribulation period. And that's the teaching of Jesus. What did Jesus teach? Well, he taught over and over again, watch, be ready. Why? Because I'm coming in an hour when you least expect it. No man knows the day nor the hour. Therefore, he says, watch, be ready. It's something that we read over and over again in the New Testament, in the Gospels, right? Now, if the church is going through the tribulation, okay? So if the church is going to go through the tribulation, then you're not looking for the coming of Jesus. You're looking for the Antichrist, right? It, it, that means that, you know, uh, if the church is going to go through the tribulation period first, before she can be raptured, Right? That means that the Antichrist has to come upon the scene. That means that the abomination of desolation has to take place. And if that's your view, then hey, Jesus can't come until all those things happen, right? Has the Antichrist come upon the world scene? I don't see him. You know, maybe he's here. He hasn't revealed himself yet. Has the abomination of desolation taken place? Has God begun to pour out his wrath in such a way that the world has never seen it or ever see it? We'll ever see it again. No, it doesn't appear that way to me. So then the Lord can't come today. You know, can't come. I don't have to watch and pray today. Don't have to. You know, when I see the Antichrist, then I don't know that that time is getting short. You know, until then, we just go about our business as usual. Don't worry about it. But Jesus taught, and the New Testament teaches throughout what's called the eminent return of Christ. That's just to say that we're to be watching and praying now, today, because he could come at any moment. If you think uh, we have to go through the tribulation, then Jesus really can't come today. Not if you think we have to go through it because the Antichrist hasn't revealed himself uh, on the world scene today. Have you... I'm sure you guys have all heard, but you've you've heard of Walter Martin, right? Walter Martin was the original Bible answer man. Walter Martin was discipled by a man named Donald Donald Gray Barnhouse. And Walter Martin, through his story, he became uh, a strong post-trib believer. He believed with all of his heart that the church would go through the tribulation period. I have a great respect for Walter Martin. But Donald Gray Barnhouse, he was insistent that the church would be raptured before the tribulation period. So every day, Donald Gray Barnhouse would come into the classroom and he would bang his fist down on his desk and he would say, sad day, Walter. Sad day. Our precious Lord can't come today. Sad day. You know, Donald Gray Barnhouse would say that because the Antichrist hadn't come on the world scene yet. And so he would say, it's a sad day, Walter. Sad day. Jesus can't come today. Sad day. We, we still have to go through the tribulation. The Lord can't come. But the good news is this. We're not living in sad days. You know what? Our precious Lord can come even today. <laughs> Frankly, that's my prayer. Today would be a great day. And that's why I take the time to share with you why I think the evidence is overwhelming that the church uh, is going to be raptured before the tribulation period comes along. And personally, as a student of the Bible, I believe as we look around, as we watch the news, as we see the chapters of the Bible, you know, uh, making the headlines, you know, the time of the rapture is drawing near, drawing near. The, The Lord is coming, friends. I mean, just look around. You know, Amos, he said to the nation of Israel, prepare to meet your God. And that's what I want to echo this morning. Prepare to meet the Lord, right? He's going to come. He's going to come, and He's going to snatch His church away into heaven. The Lord is going to descend from heaven. And uh, you know what? That day is going to come when the final Gentile places his faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior. That's the fullness of the Gentile coming in. And then the church is going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And the Bible says, now we see through uh, the glass dimly, but then we're going to see the Lord face to face. You know what? That day is coming. That day is coming. We're going to stand before the Lord. And we're going to look into his eyes. And we're going to see him face to face. Jesus said, and maybe this is the application for us to take away this morning. Jesus said that we're to occupy till he comes, right? There have been a lot of groups that went out, you know, thinking that Christ was going to come soon. They went out, sold everything, created these so-called Christian communes, and then they just checked out. Okay, Lord, we're waiting for the coming. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, they just checked out. But Jesus said, occupy till I come. You know, we need to be about the Father's business. We're not to bury our talents, right? That servant that buried his talents, he was rebuked, being called by Jesus a wicked and lazy servant, right? We're to use all that we are and all that we have for the Lord. Paul said, Philippians three twelve, I press on that I may lay hold of what, of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. And he went on, Philippians 3.14, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then Paul said in Philippians 3.20 and 21, that with him, we're to eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Paul wasn't waiting for the Antichrist. He was eagerly waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ right? And he says that we are too to be waiting eagerly. And we're to be pressing on. We're to be pressing on towards the the prize of that upward call of God, right? Not to give up. Don't give up. Keep pressing in. Keep pressing on. Keep going for it with the Lord. As we see these things happening all around us, greater frequency, greater um, intensity, We should have that desire to press forward like an athlete, you know, giving all that we have in these final days. All that I am as a man or as you are as a woman, all that I have, all my talents, all my resources, all my possessions, I'm going to use it all to bring glory to my Lord. And James said, the Lord's half-brother encourages us, James 5.8, James said, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. Don't be faltering. These are not the days to be wavering back and forth because the Lord is coming. He's at the, he's at the very door, James says. John the apostle, late in his life, he said, 1 John 3:3, he who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Right? John is talking about the one who has the hope of the Lord's soon return. It's that hope that purifies us. Right, Last Wednesday night at the Life Group, I asked the question, if you knew that the Lord was coming back in the next 24 hours, what would you do differently? You know, there's probably a number of things that we wouldn't do if we knew that he was coming back in the next 24 hours. And that's the purifying effect that his soon return is to have on us. But that's not the only effect that it's to have on us. I, I think one thing that all of us would change, I think all of us, you know, would change this if we thought the Lord really could return in the next 24 hours. Again, that's what the Bible teaches, the imminent return of Christ. I think if we believe that, each of us would set out with a purpose to share Jesus Christ, the message of the cross with everybody we met, right? We're all going to see the Lord face to face. I believe this this is going to happen really soon. I believe it's just right around the corner, right? When you see the Lord face to face, you're going to look into his eyes and you're going to see your whole life and what it stood for. What are you going to see? You know, What are you going to hear him say? You know, don't you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's what I want to hear. If we will live in obedience to him and his word, it's going to be such an amazing, joyous time when we meet the Lord. It's true. We will have to give an account uh, to him regarding the lives that we've lived, you know, what we've done with our life. But the Lord's not looking for an excuse to clobber us, right? He loves us. We'll we'll give an account. But you know what? Living in obedience now is going to result in just this wonderful, joyous time seeing Him face to face. And you know what? Don't you just long for that? Don't you just long for that? I mean, the battle with the flesh is going to be over, right? There'll be no more struggling with sin. We're going to, be caught up into the air and this corruption is going to take on incorruption. You know, we're going to be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Don't you just long for that? I do. I long for it. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing my Lord, right? These are the last days. The signs are all around us. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, if you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you're not a believer this morning, you know, I've mentioned two groups. I've mentioned those that are going to enjoy this honeymoon relationship with the Lord, right? And escape the wrath to come. And I've mentioned those that are going to be here on earth and God's wrath is going to be poured out and vented on them because of the rejection of Jesus Christ. You know, If you're not a believer, you're watching online, you're not a believer, the choice is yours. Which group do you want to be part of? Now, I remember my honeymoon. It was pretty nice. You know what? This honeymoon is going to be sweet. You can escape the wrath of God by confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord, by asking him to forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart, just by, by believing your, in your heart that he died for your sins, that he was buried and resurrected the third day, confessing with your mouth that he's Lord. You can be saved. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for your word. Lord, and I thank you that my sins have been judged at the cross. The wrath that should have been uh, poured out on me because of my sins was vented and absorbed, poured out on Jesus Christ in my stead. Lord, I'm so thankful that, Lord, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and we're, and I'm going to heaven. Lord, for anybody here that doesn't know you, Lord, I just pray that you would move on their heart. Anybody watching online, that you would move on their heart. Just where do they stand in light of eternity? What group are they in? Those that will receive just forgiveness and that be part of the bride of Christ, clothed in white linen, enjoying that time in heaven with you, or those that will be enduring a wrath that has never been poured out on the world before and it will never be poured out again, Lord, because it will bring an end to this age. I just pray you move on people's heart that they would bow their knees, humble their heart, just cry out for salvation, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for uh, the times that we're living in. We give you praise and glory in your name. Amen.